Logan is in. He's going to have a full breakdown. Tale of the tape. T-A-Y-P. T-A-Y-P. I don't get the reference. That's one one of Logan's stats. Oh, oh. Yeah. I have really enjoyed this kind of series of posts he's put out there. Just giving each team's chance of winning the conference that they're in. That's been a lot of fun. You know, just for example, the math on the USA South with Bellhaven entering the fray. Huntington has a 40% chance of winning that conference and they're the leader. Bellhaven has a 22% Brevard 14 Methodist 10 Maryville nine. I don't know. That's kind of fun just to think about that might come into play later in the podcast. Well, we better get to it then. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Coleman. You have a very forceful handshake, Mr. Coleman. And Greg Thomas. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, the podcast about the largest division of college football. We welcome you to podcast number 305. 305? Anyway, season 16, episode four. It's the podcast for June 27th of 2022. I'm Pat Coleman, the editor, producer of this thing, and the guy who does the D3Football.com website. I am not in the 305. Nobody, no Division III school is in the 305. We'd love to go to Miami for a Division III football game, but not in the cards here on the 305 or at all, and I should let the co-host talk. I'm Greg Thomas. I am the Around the Nation columnist, the co-host here. It is episode 305, Pat. We're not going to be in the 305, but 305 happens to be the number of head coaching wins by Pacific Lutheran legend Frosty Westering. And I think that's some good mojo for, for this episode. Well, we really do try to make the big time where we are, try to play against our best selves. We are seeking to play the biggest opponent we got, and that is ourselves. That's what we're doing on the podcast. We really do try to do this all the time. We try to do this for Division Three in general. And on this particular episode of the podcast, it's really all fan suggestions all the time. I tried to go workshop that and come up with a better term for it. Um, I did not, ran out of time. But we put out the call to get suggestions for guests, and you guys delivered, and some even followed the directions, which was good, which is how we end up talking to Ithaca coach Michael Turper and Wittenberg coach Jim Collins. We were looking for coaches to kind of continue our ad hoc series of conversations with new coaches of contending programs. These names stuck out. Uh, Literally, these two guys were suggested back to back by at chip underscore Ross four and at Brian sauce SAUS Turper's name came up more than once. And when you think about it, if nothing else, if you were a fan of division three football in the seventies and eighties, these are your elite programs. And if you're, you know, someone who's from the nineties or the aughts, you may remember these as teams who formerly were really, really good. And maybe they can get back anyway. It's like, there's a theme that we've just put together on the spot. We got a lot of other fun and interesting names to talk to that didn't necessarily fit this summer's theme, but maybe um, a lot of interesting head coaches that we'll talk to throughout the regular season and perhaps in the postseason as well. Yeah. And I think we actually will and have talked to coaches who don't fit that mold, right? It's just, we want to have at least one in every podcast this off season, considering we just kind of happened to do it in 302 and 303 and 304. We might as well do it in 305. And perhaps 306. We still got one, maybe two more off-season, preseason pods. Still a little more room to uh, catch some of those other new head coaches with new new offices and new digs around yeah, the I, division. I think that if we do both a July and an August pod, it will be the first time in a while that we have managed to do a podcast essentially every month throughout the off-season, or at least every month throughout the summer. I'm fully looking forward to a 306 in July, a 307 in August, and then a 308 through about 325 between that first weekend of September and that time where I get like five days off between the Stag Bowl and the D3Hoops.com Classic in Las Vegas. It's going to be a cross, cross-country trip this year from Annapolis to 
Vegas, switching gears uh, in December, but uh, good locations for both events for sure. That's right. Stag Bowl 49 will be in Annapolis, Maryland on the campus of the U.S. Naval Academy. Looking forward to that. Who will get there? We can only guess. The short list, if it's going to be more than four or five schools, will be very surprising. But uh, we'll we'll look forward to that. We'll see how that goes. But on this podcast, you know, we also, like we said, we put out suggestions for who are the coaches to kind of fill this niche to talk to. We also put out a request for questions about 24 hours before heading into the recording studio, which is really far in advance. It's like it's super planned out. This show is going to answer some of those questions right up front. And do we want to dive into the mailbag? Now we're doing a mailbag show. What kind of podcast are we? If there's ever time to experiment with the format, Pat, it's going to be in the off season. So yeah, let's, let's try it out. Mailbag, mailbag pod three Oh five. I mean, we spent half of an episode talking about math. So I think there's definitely room for experimentation here in the off season. Your categories have become tiresome. You've got mail. First question is from Devin at Bullfrog Aggie asking, who is your pick to make the NCAA tournament that no one is expecting? My first thought to this was, it's really hard to do that in division three football. It is, there is not a, there's not a whole big history of teams coming out of nowhere. Uh, It's almost hard to say, is there anybody that nobody is expecting? I had the exact same struggle. It's, I mean, not every preseason pick to win a conference wins a conference, but most of the time, the teams that do you're like, yeah, it makes, it makes a little bit of sense. I'm thinking back to last year's tournament who made the tournament that maybe would have fit this category, maybe Lake forest, maybe Carnegie Mellon, probably the two biggest surprises, maybe DePaul a little bit, although, you know, they've been challenging in the North coast for a while and finally got up over, over the hump and won that league. But I mean, you look around the 32 teams and I don't know that there's a huge surprise in the bunch and that's sort of the way it is. But Devin has asked the question, Pat, we are charged to answer it. Yeah, I guess I would throw out the University of Chicago as a possibility in the Midwest Conference. Remember, the Midwest Conference no longer has St. Norbert, which dominated for many years. Monmouth continues to be a force there and and Lake Forest is not going away. I mean, this is not meant to be disrespectful by picking against Lake Forest. It's just merely to suggest that there's the possibility that one of those other two teams, whether it's Chicago or Monmouth, comes out on top. I like, interestingly, too, you know, change in coaches at University of Chicago. It would be interesting to see, you know, exactly what Todd Gilchrist brings to this program. I feel like that is a whole conversation that we could have with coaches, too. We could have a whole theme, Greg, around coaches who come from the Ivy league to take over head coaching jobs in division three this season. That's one of them. He was an assistant at Holy cross and at Columbia. And now is the head coach at the university of Chicago. It's like a subcategory within the category sub theme within the theme for this off season. Each week on our program, of course we choose the theme. When I was thinking about this question, I thought, you know, maybe it's from sort of a, maybe you look at a conference where, the champion changes all the time. Maybe you can pick a name out of the ODAC hat, although Randolph-Macon yeah. has been sort of the team to beat there. And last year they were dethroned by WNL. But I thought, you know, what about, what about a team that's changing conferences, going from one set of opponents that maybe they're overmatched with to a set of opponents that they're not? I'm thinking about Belhaven in this instance, moving to the USA South from the ASC. Belhaven played some really competitive games in the ASC. They seem to be a team that's improving and, you know, maybe a change of scenery moving to the USA South where they're not playing Mary Harden Baylor and Harden Simmons. Maybe USA South is a little more their speed and that's a league that if they could possibly win. I think Huntington is probably the team to beat there, but is Huntington out of reach for Bellhaven? I wouldn't think so. Bellhaven had a fairly decent COVID spring 2021 season as well. They did win three games. They got blanked by Mary Harden Baylor and they got taken care of pretty easily by East Texas Baptist. But, you know, nobody at the level of those top two teams from the ASC currently participates in the USA South. And, you know, I would think that uh, this is me spitballing right now. Someone could probably math it up later. But I think that, you know, maybe the team that wins the USA South right now is probably a 
third or fourth place team in the ASC most years. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I think they wouldn't probably wouldn't run away and be separate from that group of third, fourth, fifth place teams in the ASC. But I think that's about the right area. And I think Bellhaven, you know, might fit into that, into that level. All right. So picks that no one is expecting outside of Hyde Park neighborhood, outside of one specific side of Jackson, Mississippi. Our picks are University of Chicago in the Midwest Conference and Bellhaven out of the USA South. I do reserve the right to change that by the time we get to 20 questions in the preseason <laughs> based on information that we gather ahead of the start of the season. Somewhere here on this desk is a sign I often hold up during Hoopsville shows, which is to say hashtag glean may have come in handy right there. Next question comes from Jack Burroughs at T-Bone Doggy. I heard you hear the AW in there. Maybe you hear the two G's and the IE and you didn't hear the nine, six, the 96 was silent. But the question was, has the pandemic changed D3 football at all? Coming in hot, Jack. Big question. Coming in hot. I mean, I think, yes, I think the pandemic has changed just about everything a little bit, hasn't it? When I'm thinking about this, I'm, I'm sort of thinking about the spring 2020 mini season that we had and that sort of being a testing ground for the way division three approaches rules about off season practice. Oh yeah. And they got to sort of live test some things during that spring. Like they had game weeks in that spring and what coaches have been asking for, for a long time are not game weeks, but more than walkthroughs in shorts and tanks. And I think that spring we learned that you can do football activities safely in the off season. I don't know how much of that has progressed through the legislation and the division three administrative process into more permissive spring opportunities. That's something that we learned you can do and maybe influencing the way division three football works going forward. You can learn a little bit more about that in uh, ATN podcast 301, which is with me and Dave McHugh, who used to live in the 301 and then got reorged into the 443 or the 410 or something like that. I think too, you know, that's an interesting point. Some of the things are going to change probably around not only the, you know, it's the number of weeks that coaches are allowed to have contact with their student athletes. And instead you know, during the COVID year that became instead days. So instead of, I think 19 weeks, it was uh, 114 days. What's 19 times six. So we have 114 days that you could spread across, you know, a variety of weeks. If you want to spend some of those in the spring, you want to spend some of those in the fall, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's certainly a possibility as well. That's a good one. When I was thinking about this question, Greg, I was thinking about Michael Turper is going to talk later in this podcast about all the extra seniors he has. And it's not just extra seniors, right? Everybody has extra juniors. Everybody has extra sophomores. You are going to have bloated classes the next several years. And, you know, is that prompting at other levels of college sports, some of the movement, some of the, you know, the big extensive use of the transfer portal. Some of it is kids going from three to one. There's a lot of that in basketball. There's a little bit of that in football. I think there's a lot of little changes that are going to add up to some big things, but also just, there's a lot of guys with a lot of experience and a lot of practice experience. And, you know, after last year, now having a chance to get actual games in, there's guys with extra practice, extra playing experience. There's like 23 year olds that are going to be kind of a course of the regular face of division three here over the course of the next several years. And I think that would make things pretty interesting also. Indeed. And I think something else about all that, that extra experience, I think something that division three programs across the country learned is how to get better and improve without playing games. Last year, we were concerned a little bit about the quality of play. A lot of teams, half of the division basically did not play at all from the end of fall 2019 to the beginning of fall 21. But the level of play last year was really great. And a lot of the people that I talked to throughout the season last year talked on and on about how 
those teams and those programs used that fall and the spring to bond as a team, get better. Like they, those teams and coaches found ways to improve without playing games. And I think maybe people learned a lot of things about how to coach, how to team build during that time that maybe they wouldn't have been forced to play around with without the pandemic. If nothing else, they learned how to use zoom. Right. I remember, I think the first podcast we tried to do during the pandemic, like we were teaching coaches how to use zoom. And now it's like, we send say, we'll send you a, a link to a particular piece of uh, conferencing software. And they're like, yep, good. No problem. Sometimes they may sound like they're in their bathroom, but uh, it, it's definitely there. Third question out of the mailbag comes from uh, mailbag frequent flyer Anton Cuff, Cuffy Cakes 08, who asks, what's more beneficial to a struggling program, playing a nine-game schedule or having that 10th game against a juggernaut? And the first thing that came to mind here is like, I think we're talking about defiance. Do you think we're talking about defiance? It seems like it. And I feel like we brought up defiance in the last pod also, or maybe in one of the last two. I don't want to keep picking on this defiance Mount Union game, but it is about defiance, isn't it? Let's just use a hypothetical here. Let's say, for example, you're a program that, you know, has changed coaches multiple times in the, uh, in the last 18 months or so has won, you know, six games in the last six years. You have a new head coach that started the third week of June or took over the program third week of June, has been in the program since January previously as an assistant coach. And then you're going to go out to, oh, hypothetically, a team that has won more national championships in Division Three football than any other ever. One that is going to be playing in a stadium newly rededicated and renamed after the head coach that won the vast majority of those championships. Maybe I don't know. Gosh, I never want to say don't compete. Right. I feel like, uh, here's a more concrete example. The Mount Ida program was struggling the first couple of years of its existence. They went and played Wesley and just got a bunch of guys hurt. And, you know, it basically lost the entire year. I think that ended up eventually canceling a couple of games that year because they could not feel the team. I think defiance has more players than that, but man, it's just like, I don't know how you set up your program for success. It's not even like this is a one-off and you get a big payout for taking this game as a guarantee game because uh, mountain union is, I believe scheduled to go back to defiance in 2023. So it's a home and home. You don't even get that money out of that. I just, man, I would love to actually let's throw this out on the podcast. I would love to hear from people who can tell us what the positives are for defiance it with a, with a straight face. Heavy sigh, right? You heard the crickets, right? Yeah. I think when the choice is to play or not to play, I think every coach is going to want to play. I think all the players are going to want to play. Yeah. Regardless of who they play. I think if you're playing a, a program like Mount Union, a name brand program in the division, I think that's something you can maybe use as recruiting material. You, you know, play a defiance, you get to play on this big stage against the best team. Um, one of the best teams. I shouldn't anoint Mount Union the best team. Right. There, there are several best teams. I don't think that's how superlatives work, but go on. I'm going to get tweets now. But then also... To the point that I just made, we did see programs find ways to improve as a team without playing games. So, I mean, as if Defiance playing Mount Union is a legitimate safety issue, maybe it's not the best thing. But we also are going to hear from Jim Collins a little bit later. Coaches and teams can learn a lot from being around championship level teams, competing against them, seeing the way that they operate, organize, that sort of thing. And I don't want to take too much away from that interview just yet, but I think there are positives that you can take from it. I think there are also negatives that can come from it. And I, at the end of the day, I think you play these games, you, you go to college to play 40 games, you get 40 opportunities. And I think you take them all if you can. Of course, we cannot go any further into this podcast without recognizing not only the people who sent us great feedback and questions and coach suggestions, but also the people who 
make it really possible for us to do this every season now, every off season. And that is our subscribers via Patreon. Patreon is a service with which you can subscribe to d3sports.com by donating a small amount of money to the cause every month, whether it's, you know, as little as $3 or as much as I promise you there are people who donate $50 a month that I, I don't know, I need to make some polo shirts or something because those people have really helped us. This has been since December of 2020 now. People have helped make this happen and generate the revenue that makes the website possible on a regular basis. This group of people, and it's about 175 people strong or so, supports us financially and helps us just kind of budget things out. For example, I mean, I have budgeted for Greg to write a couple of off-season feature stories and that sort of thing that normally we just would not be able to do in July. These are the sorts of things that allow us to do the new things, better updating of the scoreboard, all sorts of stuff that we've done throughout the past year plus on the d3sports.com websites. Absolutely. Those Patreon subscribers boosted us when we needed it the most and have given us the ability to support d3football.com and the other D3 Sports websites, D3 Hoops, D3 Baseball, all of the great content throughout those seasons, those championships. And it's exciting to see where we're able to go and what we're going to be able to do this season as we're getting close to a new football season. And, you know, the scoreboard's going to be back up and running on Saturdays, full tilt, features, all week long it's going to be closer than you think that it's coming in what 10 weeks <laughs> yeah if you want to support us on patreon go to patreon.com slash d3 sports that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash d3 sports or if you're more into the mindset of a one-time donation go to d3 sports.com slash help Uh, 10 weeks. For me, I didn't know anything about D3 football until I started working at Johns Hopkins. You know, I played at Pitt and just didn't know about the landscape of it at all. It just didn't, was uninformed. And I just couldn't believe how many D3 schools are serious about football here in the Northeast. And uh, it's been just fun to be a part of it and learn a little bit something different about each school along the way. And, you know, I, I think there's something really special. And that's part of the reason I came back to Ithaca is because the people that are attracted to high level D3 football are are awesome kids, right? And the alumni and everything is just, it's special, right? It's kind of, you don't have all that excess noise that you get at the next level. And it's certainly pure. My dad jokes all the time. He loves watching. He was kind of pissed when I left Ithaca before because he has to sit, had to sit through games at Holy Cross with TV timeouts. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, oh, I'm not even, you know, I go out and I mow the lawn and then I, you know, I wait an hour and then I come back and I fast forward to the, you know, but Ithaca games, they just rolled. That's Michael Turper. He's the new head coach at Ithaca College, returning after having spent a couple of years as defensive coordinator, going on to get to coach in 2020, which not a lot of people in Division Three got to do, and then coming back. First of all, thanks for taking the time to uh, join us on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Pat. It's great to be here with you. You come back to a place that has very high hopes, a great tradition in terms of, you know, its history in Division Three. You're following a couple of great coaches who have their names on things that you walk by on a regular basis. So far, what's it like being the head coach at Ithaca? Uh, it's been electric, you know, from every standpoint, from first and foremost, the players just getting to reunite with the guys that I recruited and spent a couple of seasons with when they were freshmen and sophomores. And now I came back and they're, you know, juniors and seniors, that's been so special to me. It's been a great spring. We've carried the momentum through the summer. And then from an alumni standpoint, just re-engaging with them. Uh, a lot of them I know from my previous 10 years as defensive coordinator, but I'm getting to know a lot more guys in a short amount of time. And then just from the Ithaca College community standpoint, just, you know, I just love everything the school stands for. Uh, we have an outstanding administration from an athletic standpoint. And, and uh, you know, we just had a new president that was named about, a month and a half ago, I believe. So it's just great to be back with everybody here in the South Hill because they're all so supportive of athletics and just dedicated to a school for a, full of those chasing excellence in general. 
Yeah, athletics, obviously, football especially has been a big deal at Ithaca for, I, I think, as long as I've been alive. If I go back, you know, you go back through the Division III uh, playoff history and you look at, you know, 1979, 1988, 1991 national title for other trips to the Stag Bowl. But now it's a program that has had a few bowl game appearances in the last few years, but hasn't been to the playoffs since 2014. What does it take? What do you think it's going to take to get kind of that? It just seems like every year it's just like one more win, right? Yeah, that's it, right? I think that's, I wouldn't want to come to a place that didn't have high expectations. There are a couple of things thrown around during the interview process about, you know, what the record's been in the past and how, you know, there's there's high expectations here to get this this place to the playoffs, right? And we don't yeah. shy away from it. And I think Dan Swanstrom did an incredible job taking this program and elevating it, you know, and on the foundation that Mike Welch built here on the foundation that Jim Butterfield built here right. and Dick Lyon and so on and so forth. Right. Because this is such a historic place. But for us, you know, when I first came in, these guys were really beating themselves up over, you know, if we had five more points, you know, yeah. we were in the playoffs, you know, just, they just kept beating themselves up over it. And I just, you know, I said enough, we got to move forward guys. And it's not about, what happened in the past. It's not even about what's about to happen in the future. It's about what's going to happen today and how good can we be as a group today? Can we all be aligned and have an enthusiastic investment in one another today and this week, right? And that's kind of the way we've been taking it. And I think that's the approach that we're going to take every single day and every single week this season. It's got to be an interesting job for you just to come back into a place where you were for a couple of years and obviously, like you said, recruited a bunch of these guys and to have witnessed some of that stuff, some of those near misses. And then, but you get to come in and have some credibility in terms of getting them to wipe the slate clean because you still have some of that outside perspective to bring back. Right. I think the best thing about the transition between Coach Swanstrom being the head coach and me being named the head coach is that we didn't skip a beat. There's a few times when there's a coaching change, especially when it happens with an outside source, right? Not someone elevated within the program that you can say there wasn't really a, a blip in the radar, if, if you will. But I think that's a credit to first and foremost, these incredible assistant coaches and our athletic director, Susan Bassett, for keeping things afloat as Dan transitioned to his job at the University of Pennsylvania and they just kept those guys on a mission. And when I got here, you know, it was a lot of enthusiasm right out of the gate, which was exciting. But I said, hey, we get, we got to stay on track here. We got to stay on task and we just got to keep going one day at a time. And I think for me, that was really special just to make sure, you know, every, every single recruit stayed with us. We gained 13 other recruits or commits once I got here and all the coaching staff stayed on board. Everybody was just committed towards that next step, right? That next day of that next exciting lift or that exciting practice that was what I was just taken back by and it was really something as a first time head coach that I feel really fortunate to have had intact that was one of the things I was wondering about actually because as I was going through you know back through the news on Ithaca's football page I was like I didn't see any notice about other assistants being hired or you know new people being hired after you came on so basically everybody's still there is what you're saying Everybody's still there. Um, you know, Sean Reeder, who was the offensive line coach, was promoted to offensive coordinator. And then Mike Hatcher, who had been working with our wide receivers and special teams, became the associate head coach and is working with the quarterbacks. And then, you know, Trevor Warner, who's an excellent defensive coordinator, uh, obviously stayed on staff. And then we have Tom Biscardi and Kerry Grigsby that are with us still. And just, again, to have that type of continuity with guys that, for the most part, I knew already, it was just help with a seamless transition. I think one of the interesting things that we look forward to now for Ithaca, and you were here for the game uh, in 2019, the Cortica Jug game at MetLife Stadium, and now taking the same thing and taking it to Yankee Stadium. That's got to be something to really look forward to at the end of the regular season. Oh, is that happening? I didn't even know about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. No, it's has, exciting. Has that, that, that had, that's come up, right? Yeah. It's, it's come up. It's a great experience for the players. We went out there with the captains and did a photo shoot there a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, this is the last I want to talk about this until right. we get to that last week of the season. But what an exciting event that is for both colleges, just to put a, a tangible event together that shows off the alumni support and something that these players will never forget the rest of our lives. There's guys on this team that will have played in MetLife Stadium in front of over 45,000 people. And then their senior years come back or their fifth years for the COVID guys. And 
compete at Yankee Stadium. And, and I think yeah. we're well on our way to selling that game out too. So I am really excited for them, uh, most importantly, and just for our college to be put on a national stage like that. How many guys are coming back? Like how many fifth year guys are there are there in your program for the fall? So I believe it's a number around 15. That's a credit to Coach Swanstrom and the staff for, you know, really recruiting these guys. You know, I think that's something that they obviously made a big initiative to do when it was first announced that you could have an extra year because of the pandemic. They put all hands on deck to make sure that these these guys who were big pieces of the program utilized that extra year and made sure academically they stayed on task and on schedule to do so. Yeah, I think sometimes uh, when there's coaching changes, uh, when when there, when there's a coaching change because a program has struggled, you then have to really re-recruit those guys to stay on. Maybe you're even re-recruiting guys who are back in the student body who have left the program but are still at the institution. Yes. This is not really that case, but it sounds somewhat similar anyway. No, there was still a big-time recruit that was in our senior class that was on the fence about coming back and I went and, you know, did a home visit with him <laughs> right out of the gate at his college apartment to try and get him back on the squad. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's just exciting to, to be back with this group of young men who didn't know what the future of their college football career looked like. And now we get to come back for one more ride together. All right. I have to ask you that name, whether you're going to tell me or not. So I was, I, to be honest with you, I was one for two, right? We had Ed Longest, who was a defensive lineman who was going to go on and have an awesome sales job that he couldn't pass up. And then we mm -hmm. also had Nate Potts who is coming back. He's from the DMVs, a defensive end for us had a pretty big play in that Cortica jug game back in 2021. But again, I just wanted to make sure we kind of locked those guys in or tried to, at least I made my best effort at Ed didn't, didn't work out the, the money talked there. And I, completely in support of, of him for it. That's a very division three thing, right? I mean, the guys who can't come back and take that fifth year because they already have a job lined up that they're ready to go to. Right. Exactly. And I even tried to work out a contract negotiation with their, his employer <laughs> <laughs> didn't work out, but Hey, you know what? I got some contract negotiation work out of it. It seems like you know, football in the state of New York, or at least in Western New York, a bit of upheaval, right? I mean, it's seeming like Utica is leaving and going to go to Division Two. Schedules will be changing. The Empire 8 is like, hey, we're going to go play the Landmark Conference for a while when they've been playing a bunch of games against the Liberty League. What does scheduling look like for you guys going forward after this year? We're fortunate that we had some teams from the Empire 8 that held on to our contracts, and um, we're really thankful for that. You know, we did have to maneuver a little bit and, and find a couple more games. I, I'll tell you what, there is one game. I, it's not been announced yet, but, and I don't want to spill the beans here. We'll have to wait on that one that we're opening up with next year that I am just more than excited about. Um, okay. But there's going to be some opportunities to play some different teams that we have in the past. And, and that's just fine with us. You know, things happen in the landscape of college football at every single level. And the fact that, you know, the landmark came about and the empire eight, you know, did it work a contract with them? You know, again, that's that's their prerogative. So, you know, we got to worry about us and and we'll play. There's plenty of teams out there that probably want to play the bomber. So we're not too concerned about it. Yeah, I would think you guys have the ability to, you know, go play someone in the Ohio Athletic Conference or someone in Ohio or Western Pennsylvania or something like that. You guys are situated in a place where you can still bust to a good portion of Division Three, really. Anytime, anyplace, anywhere, Pat. You talked at the beginning about your background, like you know, you'll come from Pitt, not having a real idea of what the Division Three landscape is about. And then you coached at a couple of places in Division Three. Tell us just a little bit more about, you know, kind of that discovery and that sort of thing, if you could. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't speak about my experience at Johns Hopkins and how it really transformed me as a human being more than anything else with a, a mentor like Jim Margraff. I spent seven seasons there learning from him. And now that I'm becoming a father and a head coach, all these lessons are just coming back to fruition. And it's just been a joy to think about him and the decisions he would make in this role, even just four months into the job. So that experience at Johns Hopkins really gave me just such a great idea of what's important at the division three level, how to run a successful division three program where academics comes first and athletics is a very, very close second 
so that exposure to Jim Margraff and of course Dan Swanstrom was the offensive coordinator there who I you know worked under for my first three years there as a wide receivers coach. It was just something that looking back on it was instrumental in me, you know, getting to this point in my career. And I wouldn't be able to do this without that experience. So, you know, I didn't know much about the E3. I thought it was going to be glorified high school football, but oh no, get there, no, sir, at all. And you get there yeah. and you look at these teams that just invest so much time and so much passion and so much effort into the programs from a coaching standpoint. And these players are maybe an inch too short or a tenth too slow for the division one ranks, but they are yeah. great football players. Three days into my first practice at Johns Hopkins, I was like, okay, these guys can ball. And <laughs> That was just so exciting to be around. They just brought so much energy and passion and joy for the game and for life on a day-to-day basis. It just helped me fall in love with it. And there's nothing against Division I football, but there's just nothing like this Division Three landscape, the purity of it, the passion behind it, and the effort that gets put in without things getting in the way of that passion, right? And I think that's you know, that's really the, the neat thing about Division Three football and how much all these teams in the Northeast care and, and invest, you know, from an administration standpoint, all the way down to the lowest assistant coach. I mean, these, these yeah. guys are in it just like they're, they'd be in the SEC. So for me, it's been a joy to be around. I, I just, you know, my dad, like I said, my dad loves watching the games because there are no TV timeouts. It just rolls. And uh, it's, it's a fantastic brand of football. Well, that stuff should go on the marketing slogans for sure. That's everything you ever want to hear anybody say about Division Three. that's for sure. Yeah, and again, I think I have a unique perspective in the sense that, you know, just playing Division One football, coaching Division One football, yeah. you know, it's, it's all good. I, and I love my time at Holy Cross. I love my time at Pitt. I love my one year at Duquesne, but it's different here. Coach Margras would always say, do the right things for the right reasons. And I think there's a lot of players in Division Three that are playing football for the right reasons. Greg, I wasn't necessarily planning to go back and talk to Mike Turper about his introduction to Division Three, but I'm really glad we had that conversation because it brought up some great stuff about the late Johns Hopkins coach, Jim Margraff. I don't think that I had realized just how many branches go off of the Jim Margraff coaching tree. He did superlative work at Hopkins. Obviously, he got that program to the semifinals, really cemented the Blue Jays as one of the best programs in the division, but coaches that have come through Hopkins under his tutelage are also having success in division three and elsewhere. Dan Swanstrom, he did very well at Ithaca. Now Mike Turper taking over from Dan Swanstrom, uh, Greg Chimera who had taken over the program at Johns Hopkins. He's got that train running as well. You know, Mike Turper, he's really stepping into a great situation there at Ithaca. You mentioned it in the interview. They've been just a handful of points or, a couple of plays away from being a playoff team in the last two tournaments, but they've just missed on at-large selection as well. They've had really strong resumes, but it's just that one more win that they have to get, right? And that's Mike Turper's challenge is to scratch that one more win out of the Liberty League and, and qualify automatically. Yeah, it was interesting to hear him talk, though, about you know the fact that you could really get hung up on that. And I felt like I didn't explain it well in the interview and I'm not going to explain it well here now, but he's a guy who's coming back in from the outside and can bring a little bit of fresh perspective. And if that is a rut or if that were a rut that a program could fall into, this is a good way to try to knock them out of it. It is. I think it's, if you don't let yourself get caught up in the, in the one plainness of it all. No making up words. You just work that little bit harder to make that one play, get that one field goal, get that one stop. They're so close, but the higher you get, the better you get. Improving incrementally gets that much more difficult. And that's sort of where Ithaca is at right now is getting that one little bit, that one little bit better I was interested, too, to hear that even at a playoff contender, a new coach might have to go back and re-recruit someone from the student body. Like, this is something you do if you're a struggling program, right? You know, a guy who's gotten frustrated after a program's gone two and eight might just retire and become a student, but still have plenty of skills to give to a program that's trying to rebuild. This is not a program that's trying to rebuild, but there's still uh, the opportunity to go out there and re-recruit from the students. I was surprised to hear that. I mean, that's a little bit D3, isn't it? You're not going to really 
see a lot of that from scholarship schools, but (laughs) Ithaca is a place where they've got a student body population that can support that kind of thing. Like they've got, they're going to have some really good athletes out there that maybe stepped away from the game and maybe Mike Turper is a connection that they need to get reintroduced to the game. Coaches are recruit your backyard, literally, right? Your front yard too. Joined by Jim Collins of the D3Football.com podcast. We have talked with Jim Collins a lot in the previous lives, but I think that, Coach, we didn't have a podcast at the point at which you left Division Three. so I think this is probably the first time we've had you actually on the podcast, and it's a pleasure to have you here. Great to be here, Pat, and uh, great talking with you. It's been a while, but uh, it's fantastic to be back on D3Football.com, I can tell you that. Obviously, I was around when you got things started, and... Uh, It's been awesome. I appreciate you saying that. Obviously, you had some great teams at Capitol. I should say now the uh, new head coach at Wittenberg University. First off, what's it like just stepping in, you know, for a guy who's going to be a Hall of Famer everywhere that there is a Hall of Fame in terms of replacing Joe Fincham? It's been been really good. I'm going to tell you this. Coach Fincham did an outstanding job while he was here, and he had some outstanding teams great players and and players that have gone on to do great things after graduation. I've said it from the day I walked in, uh, you you know, there's been some outstanding coaches here. Let's face it, we've got got, uh, Coach Fincham took over the program. Uh, Doug Niebuhr had just left and he built it up to something special. Before that, you had Ron Murphy, Dave Maurer, Bill Edwards. So the line of coaches here is an encyclopedia of college football hall of fame gentlemen it's great being back at the alma mater and and it's great stepping into a situation where uh the tradition is still as strong as ever and there's got to be high expectations for this program as well i mean it's been a couple of years i if i went back i think it may be 2013 was the last time wittenberg won a playoff game i have been in it a couple of times since but what are you hearing from alumni what are you hearing from people on campus in terms of trying to get this program back up to where it's competing and going deep in the playoffs on a regular basis everybody that's associated with wittenberg football pat has high standards and high expectations including myself and You know, this is a program and a university that has everything, I think, in place and what it takes to be one of the premier, if not the premier program in the country. And that's what we're, that's where we are looking to go right now. I think when you look at those necessary pieces, such as academic reputation, location, facilities, tradition, those being key factors, in being able to develop it and have a program that's that's one of the best, if not the best in the country, those are the factors that it takes to get there. Those are in place. And with those things in place, that's what you have to be working for on a daily basis, wanting to be the best and do things better than anybody else and do things as good as you can do it and at a high level. If I think back through, you know, your coaching career, obviously at Capital, you had a chance to see the best in Division Three up close and personal every year uh, in terms of facing Mount Union uh, every year, if not sometimes twice a year and at a couple of years where you guys really competed toe to toe with them. And then I think to it at Saginaw Valley State, right, D2 school. Uh, in the same conference where Grand Valley is one of the big heavyweights in Division Two, you certainly have seen what it takes to compete at uh, the highest levels of whatever division. Absolutely. And, and, you know, in both places, we got really close. I think the big picture is really important that you take a look at that big picture and know where you want to go. But really, it comes down to just what you're doing on a daily basis and and the work ethic and and competitive spirit and, and connection that your team has with each other and building on that every day. In both situations, when I was at Saginaw Valley and Capital, and I got a chance to to look at it and really, I'll tell you, Pat, what really separated things for, for me when I, as a coach is when I got put on the playoff committee in D3 back in 2001, and I got a chance to go to playoff games and also travel to the, to the Stag Bowl. And I got a firsthand chance to see what, these, what the best teams in the country look like, uh, how they organize things, how they practice, 
And that experience, I think, is what helped capital get to where we brought it. And I think it was extremely valuable. And at the end of the day, what, what the great programs have uh, is they have great people. They've got outstanding leaders and coaches in those programs. And, and then those people go out and recruit outstanding student athletes and, and then work really hard to develop those guys. That's the formula. And, and it comes down to, as I said, organizing a staff where you know you've got people that can coach it, that can recruit it and can develop. And, and then finding the players that, that have that, that competitiveness in them that they want to go to a place where they can be the best in the country. I feel like we could talk for a whole half hour just on what coaches see when they are members of the uh, playoff committee and how that changes things after that. I want to talk about uh, some other things too, though. I mean, over the course of the last, let's say 15 years, the landscape of Division Three football or of football in the state of Ohio has definitely changed. Uh, there's been a quite a... Uh, growth of Division II football programs. Programs such as Mount Union used to really just thrive on the Ohio kids and maybe some kids out of Western Pennsylvania. They have had to go further afield to find guys. What are the sort of things that you're going to be doing at Wittenberg in order to make sure that you're able to recruit the kind of kids that you need to compete on that level? You, you said it best. You, you've got to go outside the state of Ohio for auxiliary recruiting. And what I mean by that is you still have to win in your backyard. It, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't matter uh, if, if there's 100 Division II programs in the state of Ohio. There's, there's a lot of great football talent in the state of Ohio. And the Wittenberg brand, the tradition, the reputation of our program will still allow us to go get great players from the state of Ohio. But there's not as many college students now. Right. in the Midwest in general. So we've expanded our horizons. We've got 16 players from the state of Florida coming in with this recruiting class this year, Pat. And I think you've got to be able to go down south to the states that don't have a lot of D3s, that export students and recruit talent from those states. And I think, you know, Florida is one of those states. I think Georgia is one of those states. Uh, and, and obviously, Texas has got great football. I, I think that whole south, southern corridor of schools, because of the lack of many, you know, a lot of Division three schools. But, but you still have to win in your backyard. We've got guys from Ohio. We've got guys from Pennsylvania. We've got guys from Michigan, Kentucky, and Indiana all coming to Wittenberg in this class. And, and it's really critical that, that, uh, that you're able to recruit locally. And I think that's where you develop great relationships with the high school coaches. That's where you have a lot of alums that, that can talk about Wittenberg and, and can spread the word. And, and then the other part of it is with our new facilities, it doesn't matter where we recruit. I, I think we can attract really good football players when they take a look at the commitment our university has made in athletic facilities. Well, I'm going to need you to tell me a little bit about uh, the facilities part, because I, I think the last time I was at Wittenberg, this was like sometime between maybe 2007 and 2010. Can't quite remember. So what are the things that are going on there? We've had a uh, quite a facility makeover since then, Pat. We, we have built an indoor facility that has a 300 meter indoor track and, a, and, and almost a full 100 and 20 yards of turf inside of that. So we're able to, we're able to practice and, and, uh, and do everything football related indoors if we need to, or if we want to, which is outstanding. The ceilings are high enough to punt and kick in there. And uh, it, it's an unbelievable facility. In addition to that, we've got a brand new weight room that will rival anything you'll see at FBS. <laughs> So, so with the weight room and an indoor facility, I think we've got not just a facility that can attract outstanding student athletes, but you can develop them in, a, in these facilities. In addition to that, we've remodeled the existing facilities to where we have a new office suite, new, uh, a remodeled office suite, remodeled training room, updated locker room, state of the art. Uh, so all this stuff has happened within the last three years here at Wittenberg. Our alumni got together and, uh, and, and really, really uh, enhanced the facilities, uh, generously donating the finances to make it happen. The lead donor uh, is an alum named Wes Bates, who also is the CEO of Stanley Steamer. And that's why our facility is called the Steamer. 
And right. uh, so, so we've really upgraded and, and it's on par with, with a lot of division one schools. I know you're talking to us from these new offices, uh, and I mentioned it before we uh, started recording this conversation, but they need to in- include anything that's some sort of sound dampening uh, uh, technology in there because you kind of sound like you're in the bathroom, but I can promise that he is uh, sitting there in his office. I can see, you know, Wittenberg helmets and a Wittenberg football towel behind you. So it, that's, uh, that is actually what's happening. Acoustics, Pat. Acoustics. We're going to work <laughs> on that. I was going to say, though, you think about in previous kind of arms races, for lack of a better term, in Division Three, there was a weight room arms race, and then there was like a, a scoreboard arms race, and maybe that one is still going on, but I think we're also beginning to see, you know, indoor facility uh, being a thing, and this is not just something that benefits football, it's something that benefits the entire community, not just on your campus, but can be rented out and could be potentially a moneymaker, but that seems like a place that a lot of schools are, uh, are, are making investments now going forward. There, there's no question. And, and at, at a school like Wittenberg, where we have 25 varsity sports, uh, to have an indoor facility for the lacrosse, men's and women's lacrosse, field hockey, softball, baseball, men's and women's soccer, you, you know, I, it makes sense. And then, and then the indoor track with, with cross country and track, uh, I think 300 meter tracks are the wave of the future for indoor okay. tracks. And the fact that you can fit a football field inside a 300-meter track, it really uh, it makes it a no-brainer. Tell us a little bit about what's coming back for you guys this year. Just a thumbnail sketch of what your program looks like here for fall of 22. Well, it, I'm, I, it, it's a great time to be at Wittenberg when you consider the fact that the Tigers won five straight at the end of last year. Okay. And uh, the season finished up really well but you know when you when a new coach comes in and you've got a new coaching staff i think the excitement of creating competitiveness at every single position regardless of who started last year is 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 really exciting and so we're gonna have a lot of competition there's gonna be some guys that are no-brainers they started last year they had great seasons they're the best guys at their position on our team and they're working really hard still to get better uh but we're also going to have a competition in a lot of positions. I've always said in Division Three, uh, you know, with the playoff system, the, the thing that you can guarantee is if you win your conference, you're going to the playoffs. So you focus on, on winning your conference. You play non-conference games that are going to prepare you for the playoffs. And, and we definitely have one on our schedule this year with, with Cortland State. And, uh, you know, our guys, they're Wittenberg football players, which means every day they show up, uh, they're working for a conference championship, a playoff berth, and a national championship. Greg, thinking back on what Colin said, maybe not quite halfway through this interview, that the Wittenberg brand will allow them to get great football players in the state of Ohio. I wonder for how many more years this will still be true, if it's even true right now. I think that's a good thought, and you might you might get a hint about how Wittenberg feels about that with the additional resources that are being allocated to the recruitment of student athletes from Florida and Georgia. It's not a new approach, by the way, programs all over for a number of years now have had big groups, a dozen or so come in to a particular class from Florida and programs have had varying levels of success with that. Yeah. And it's not as though Wittenberg hasn't already been in Florida. I mean, they had 18 kids from Florida on last year's roster. Yeah. And, you know, as much as programs like Wittenberg are recruiting, not just in Ohio, but in neighboring states like Indiana and Pennsylvania, schools in those states, and there are many Division three schools, there are NAIAs in those areas, Division twos, those schools are all recruiting in Ohio as well. The density of schools in the Great Lakes area has always been really high, but maybe the bigger factor is something else that Coach Collins touched on. The number of students going to college in that area, maybe all over, might not just be localized to the Midwest. That group of students is not as large as it used to be. Yeah, he's right about that. The demographics of the uh, Rust Belt states, those states are getting older. They are not, they don't have as many young families and young students. And, you know, the areas that he described, those are lots of places where the younger people are. And there's also just overall a big drop off coming in terms of college age students. You know, many families put off having kids during the recession in 2007, 2008. Those missing kids or whatever, they would be headed off to college in the fall of 2025. There are a lot of very nervous enrollment people in higher education trying to figure out how to deal with, I think, what people are generally calling the cliff in 2025 when that number just drops off the face of the earth. 
That's very true. I don't want to minimize what Coach Collins said. He's somebody who knows what he's talking about in terms of success in Division Three. When he left Capital, which is in you know the same general geographic area as Wittenberg, he had built one of the very best programs in Division Three. You you talked about it in the interview. And he said that that's his goal again, to be the best in the division. And that's not just pie in the sky. Like he kind of knows what that looks like. That's going to start with winning the conference. And right now the North coast is an interesting place. The landscape there is pretty interesting. The last four full seasons from the North coast have produced four different playoff participants. The conference isn't quite that two headed beast that it was for 15 years or so. There's definitely room here for a team to separate. If you can build a program that is in the top 15 or so, I think that you can separate from the pack and kind of become king of the North Coast again. And maybe Jim Collins is the spark for Wittenberg to reclaim that mantle. Or maybe maybe the North Coast turns into something like the SAA or the Liberty League, where you have three or four teams that are really good and, and competing pretty evenly for that one playoff spot in the conference. Sorry, I'm hearing some music in my headsets. Speaking of spot, you put me on the spot, maybe the last pod. It was the last pod. So I've got one for you this month. You are, you know, you're sort of Mr. D3. You've done and seen more Division Three stuff than just about anybody. I'm curious, what's out there on your Division three football bucket list, a a game, a stadium, a tradition, an event, something that you haven't seen yet, but really want to. Obviously just an off the cuff response. I think one of the things I really would like to see that I have not yet seen in person would be Amherst Williams football. It's a little difficult to kind of dedicate the time that time of year to go out and see a game. That's not going to have an impact on the playoff race and neither Williamstown nor Amherst is necessarily quite so easy to get to at some point before I die or before I stop doing this. It's like an Amherst Williams football game would be on the list. I would say too, though, in deference to, uh, in deference to Keith McMillan, I actually have not seen a Randolph Macon Hampton Sydney football game either. That's one of those where it didn't make a whole lot of sense for me to go because there were also there were always other people who could cover Hampton, Sydney, Randolph, Macon, and probably do a better job with better knowledge of the rivalry. But if I think off the top of my head, those are like the two rivalries in football I would really like to see. If I just want to step into the basketball world for half a second, what I really want to do is come down to your neck of the woods and see one of those Claremont, Pomona, Mud, Pitzer, Scripps games in basketball because those seem like some pretty knockdown drag out fights. They may not all be like 49, 47 games anymore, but you know, especially once I think the second new arena gets finished here in the not too distant future, then I definitely want to get down to uh, SoCal and what better time to do that than in like January or February. That's that would be like my basketball bucket list item. You probably are not going to go wrong with a six street rivalry game. Pomona Pitts are going to have the new athletic center. The rain center should be online and functional this fall. I know they'll be using it for classes and other things. It, it will be at least partially operational this fall. It's like the second death star. Whoa. All right. The building does look fantastic though. Claremont Mudscripts also doing some construction on their athletics facilities. So we've got like a six street athletics facilities arms race going on here second reference on arms race for the podcast means we have to wrap it up but this was around the nation podcast number 305 released on june 27th 2022 thanks for listening and keep an eye out for this continuing coverage throughout the off season as i said before you can support production of this podcast and the whole d3sports.com family of websites in general by visiting patreon.com slash d3sports but even if you can't afford to support us financially You can help us out by telling a friend, a classmate, phone a friend about the show. And you can also rate and review us in the various places where people do the rating and reviewing podcasting. We got a nice review in 
uh, one of the platforms I can't remember uh, just a couple of weeks ago, which was nice. I'm very thankful about that. It does not just have to be on Apple Podcasts, so appreciate that. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Greg is at Wally Wabash. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know you can join the conversation by registering a post at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music and a lot of the other music in this podcast is Power 2 by DJ Mentos. You have uh, more of his tracks. You can find them at DJMentos.com or you can listen to them on Spotify. Thanks to Mike Turper. Thanks to Jim Collins. Thanks to sports information directors Justin Lutz and AJ Meyer. Thanks to the originator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com, Keith McMillan. And thanks to my co-host, Greg Thomas. Odds of winning the NCAC, five teams between 13 and 26% in the uh, Logan Hansen metric. Wittenberg, 26%. DePaul, 21. Ohio Wesleyan, 17. Denison, 16. Wabash, 13. Worcester, 6. And then nobody else has any shot, essentially, mathematically. That sounds about right. Other North Coast news, while we're heavy on the North Coast today, Kenyon, the Owls. They're the Owls now. That's right. Take that. Lords and Ladies, Capital, no longer the Crusaders. They're the Comets. Felt like there was one other kind of mid-year change that I'm already forgetting about. It was a team in the Northeast changed not long ago. Yeah. Westcon? Did Westcon change? Westcon change. That's right. They're like the wolves or something now instead of the colonials. Man, that was, speaking of the colonials, the colonials also not going to be the colonials anymore. The GW colonials. All of that. <laughs> <laughs> you get a big, uh, big ding for getting the uh, for getting Western Connecticut. I was not going to remember that. I blacked out for a minute. I, there's no reason for me to have known that. You are joining the inner circle of random things that you don't need to know, but somehow you know. It's a it's I'm, a kind of a cumbersome name. We're working on it. I'm also starting to do that thing where I I remember very vividly the stuff that happened like 15 years ago, and the stuff that happened two years ago is is muddled and fuzzy. Oh, we are all in trouble then. There'll be a time to uh, to look at all this stuff and to reflect, but now is not the time.